Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and it is Ash Wednesday today. It's an Everyone Wednesday today, and uh, I'm so glad you tuned in to the program. I don't know how you uh, celebrate Ash Wednesday in your uh, tradition, uh, and I say tradition meaning denomination, whether it's a mainline denomination or um, you're part of the evangelical, non-denominational crowd or whatever it is. I have a very dear friend who pastors a small church here in Southern California that is non-denominational, and yet uh, they're really big on the Lenten season and the church holidays and following the church calendar, kind of like the uh, tradition that I've been a part of for many years, the Lutheran Church, that does follow a church calendar that ironically <laughs> is right in line with the Catholic Church, which is right in line with other bits and pieces churches, mainline denominations or other. So today, if you haven't had a chance to get to worship, I really encourage you to do uh, do so. And um, find a church in your area. You know, there's still time uh, for, for where you're listing. If you're listing live in California or Colorado, uh, it's still 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock respectively in your time zones. And I'm sure there are churches near you that have a 6 p.m. or a 7 p.m. or a 7.30 Ash Wednesday service. It's a time for meditation and reflection. And typically uh, it, it kicks off, well, I mean, it does kick off the Lenten season where uh, we mark 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday. And if you did not know, uh, you know, you could pull out your calendar and say, wait, isn't there like 47 days? Actually, there is. Um, the Lord's Day is not counted in that 40 days. But the reason for 40 days being the period stems from the 40 days of uh, temptation uh, that the Lord, uh, well, not the 40 days of temptation, the, the temptation that the Lord was subjected to after 40 days in the wilderness, you know, coming up out of the waters of baptism, and then the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. And he spent 40 days there just in solitude, in prayer and fasting. Um, and of course, being fully God and fully man was sustained uh, supernaturally for the 40 days because your body can't last more than seven days without water and can't last more than 40 days without food. So it's no surprise that when Satan does come to tempt Jesus in those first of the three testings, the first thing he says is, hey, you know what? See the Son of God, see these stones around here? They just happen to be about the same size as the standard uh, loaf of bread, that kind of barley roll that uh, we saw in the feeding of the 5,000. He says, so turn some of these stones into bread and give yourself something to eat. I mean, it's a very, very practical uh response or, or temptation rather you know and, and it's not really grand and great you'll notice that when the enemy does come at us with testing off it isn't like hey do you want a billion dollars would you like to own dubai you know i mean it's not these grand things it's like hey how about a little here and a little there and you know just no one's gonna know no one's gonna know you know that type of thing and jesus says look you know uh, man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the, the mouth of god and th he basically uses scripture so then the last two temptations satan goes oh yeah well i know scripture too and and that's something where oftentimes i think there's a false sense of security in the american church where we look at um what's happening in the world around us and we say well you know what though we're going to spend more time in bible study we're going to our pastors going verse by verse expository teaching and pound 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 and that's what we're going to do um it's interesting because if you look at what's happening in Asbury, Kentucky, and from what I understand today, the school made an, well, they made an announcement last week that they would allow the, uh, you know, kind of spontaneous outpouring of the Holy Spirit to continue through the 22nd, which is today, but it's been disruptive on campus for classes and, you know, all the touristy type of things going on. So they're really encouraging the students to get back to class and get about the business at hand. 
um, you know, kind of a practical matter there. But, you know, when people say, well, gosh, why would you put an end date on a revival? I think, well, okay, the revival is revival... How do you define it? You define the effect of revival based on the number of people whose hearts are transformed for the Lord and then do what they're supposed to do great commission-wise, which is go into all the world and preach the gospel. So, you know, it's, it's one thing to say everybody went to Asbury and got blessed and, you know, laid hands and confessed sins, the power of the Spirit, great time of worship, et cetera, et cetera, healing and majesty and, you know, even atheists were going there and it's great, but the true measure of revival is did you literally, as Jesus said in the, uh, uh, you know, the, the t- uh, parable, well, not the parable, the miracle of the 10 lepers. He said, look, here's the deal. Go and show the priest that you've been healed. And on their way to go and show the priest, the leprosy was, was cured. So we're, we're going to see the fruits of revival. And people are getting into the big semantical debate. Was this revival? Is it not? You know, what about what happened at Baylor? What happened at Cedarville? You know, Cumberland and the UK, what, what, you know, we're, we're going to see this all over the country. Sowing the seeds of revival, that's great, but we're not going to know if this was in fact a real revival until we see what happens two weeks down the road, a month down the road, six months down the road, a year down the road. So I really don't want to quibble on the semantics about this, but um, that's a long way around the barn to say, if you haven't had a chance to get to church yet on Ash Wednesday, I know in the church that I've been a part of for many years, uh, we have different, not stations of the cross per se, but basically when you go to Ash Wednesday service, um, when it's time for prayer and confession, you go through, let's see, one, two, three, it's four or five stages where the first one you go and a pastor takes the ashes that are at, made from last year's palm fronds, from Palm Sunday, by the way, and mixed with a little oil and makes a sign of the cross on your forehead that says ashes to ashes, dust to dust, are you apart from Christ? And that's just a, a reality of the fact that mankind was made from uh, dust. You know, Adam was created from the dust of the earth. And basically, if you don't have Christ in your life because we live in a sinful, fallen world, we have that same lineage of being created from dust. And at the end of our life, our bodies go back into the ground and either buried or cremated or however we do it. And then there's the judgment. And at some point, we're going to have to answer for the way we lived our lives. Apart from Christ, we can't stand before God. I mean, the, the judgment is swift and certain and eternal. With Christ, then, of course, the judgment is swift and eternal in the other direction, saying, look, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus, and he sees your debt have been paid, there's no mark of the sin anywhere, there's no stench of the sin anywhere, and your record, the account ledger, if you will, is completely clean. Isn't that a glorious thought? Which would you choose, right? (laughs) It's just, it makes sense. The next stage at our church, then, is you go and take communion. And basically, this is the body of Christ given for you, um, of course, and then the blood of Christ shed for you, and the words given and shed coming from what we call the words of institution, where Jesus instituted communion, which we commemorate on Monday Thursday. And then um, you go back to the final pastor at the, uh, the fourth stage, who is by a maybe a small baptismal font, uh, not the big old pond if you're doing the full immersion, but more of the ceremonial one where you can, you know, dedicate a child or something like that and uh, the pastor takes a cloth and dips the water in the baptismal water and says uh, you know you have been marked with the sign of the cross and sealed with the holy spirit forever go now live in peace your sins have been forgiven and so the ashes of the cross of your sin is then washed away 
by the living water, Jesus Christ. And the beauty of that is you can still see that remnant. So when you go out to the supermarket afterwards or go out and get some dinner or you know, lunch or whatever you've done during the course of the day, people can look at your forehead and go, hey, what's that stuff on your forehead? And then you have an opportunity, 1 Peter 3.15, to be able to share your faith. So I highly recommend you find an Ash Wednesday service near you. And uh, if you're church has not considered doing Ash Wednesday services, I highly recommend doing that as well. Okay, on today's program, we're going to do something a little different. Um, I do have a bit of a homily to share with you, which we'll do a little later in the program with regard to Ash Wednesday and this time of reflection. This is the time of year when a lot of people will give something up for Lent, like they'll give up a favorite sweet or you know something like that, or they'll add something into their spiritual discipline, maybe an extra 15 minutes in prayer or Bible study every morning, and th- those are all good things to do. But I want to talk about how taking this time to reflect before God, to really focus on our sinful nature and your life in particular and the way things have played out over the past year and over the next 40 days, ask the question that a lot of people in the culture are asking, and that is, what exactly is Christianity? What does it mean to be a Christ follower, to go into all the world and preach the gospel? What gospel are we preaching? A Dutch uh, theologian by the name of Herman, Herman Bovink actually a attempted to have a conversation about this discussion um, about 100 years ago. He wrote a couple of essays that have since been published into a book. Uh, Dr. Gregory Parker is a scholar at Cairn University, and he actually did his dissertation on the works of Herman Bovink. Um, he has translated two of uh, Bovink's most classic works into one small book. It doesn't have a lot of pages in it, and it's simply called What is Christianity? We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're going to give away a copy of the book today. It's Everyone Wednesday, so everybody calls in. is going to win, whether it's the Bovent book or, or tickets to go see Dennis Wilson's screening of The Baby Boomer Dilemma, which is this Saturday, by the way. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, Gregory Parker is going to join me to talk about uh, the answer to the question, what is Christianity, and how does a Dutch theologian from over 100 years ago address an issue in ways that we here in 2023 can use very effectively? We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else? Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of, it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. 
Well, today on The Bottom Line, we are going to answer a question that is central to our Christian faith as we see more and more people who are asking questions that seem kind of primal in nature, like what is a woman? What is sexuality? This, that, and the other thing. How about answering the question, what exactly is Christianity? There is a book that is new to us. I won't call it a new book because it's a rather uh, elderly text that's been written and then translated into English. But today on the Bottom Line Show, we're going to take a look at a work by Dr. Herman Bovink uh, called What is Christianity? And uh, to join us to have this conversation, I'd be a lot more effective to talk to someone who's with us and no longer not, not with the Lord, uh, Dr. Gregory Parker Jr., who has a PhD in systemic uh, systematic theology from the University of Edinburgh and is the uh, one who took on this project because this is his area of expertise. Dr. Gregory Parker, welcome to our Bottom Line Show today. Thanks so much, Roger. It's a pleasure to be on. Now, I have to admit, and I'm going to use a, a colloquial reference here, when I first read your bio, got a copy of the book, and started taking a look at it, I could not help but think of Steve Carell and Little Miss Sunshine, because, I mean, I thought, this is this sounds like a real niche kind of, you know, uh, only for the super, super, uh, you know, uh, the theological among us that you would have the area of expertise that you do. Uh, talk about the fact that you uh, did your undergraduate work, uh, studied Bible, studied uh, theological, you know, Lee, and then went for a PhD in systematic theology, focusing on the work of this one Dutch reformer. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I, I, I did some, um, as you mentioned, biblical studies as my undergraduate degree, really enjoyed studying the Bible actually went to Philadelphia Biblical University, which is uh, now Cairn, and it's now where I work. So I, I get to uh, work where I first uh, uh, learned how to read the Bible, really. And uh, after finishing up at Cairn, I realized that I maybe had a slight uh, deficit in my understanding, which was that I, I could certainly read Scripture, but I couldn't understand how uh, theology was connecting to each other. What the doctrine of resurrection had to do with my doctrine of creation. And so at the time I was working in an Amazon warehouse and helping out at a church plant and uh, unlucky for my budget, but lucky for me, there was this little reformed bookstore just down the road. And so across a couple paychecks, I walked in there and uh, this Herman Bovink guy had just come into English and from about 2003 to 2008, his, his major work was put out there reformed, dogmatics. And so as I was standing there talking to the, the nice lady in the bookstore, she recommended, hey, you know, this, this Bovink guy, he's pretty trustworthy, and uh, you should start reading him. And, uh, and I should probably give her credit for my career at this point. <laughs> and, uh, and so I started reading him and went off to seminary and I kept bothering all of my uh, seminary professors to let me read more Bovink rather than less Bovink. And about halfway through that, uh, program, I decided that maybe I would do a PhD on Herman Bovink. And, and really what appealed to me was uh, that Bovink was this ironic thinker in a time in which um, I was kind of submerged in, um, in kind of tribalistic evangelicalism. We were really getting fond of pointing fingers at people and telling them they were wrong. And not only were they wrong, but everything that they ever writ was wrong. And, uh, and, and Bovink stood in strong contrast to this. He could tell someone that they are wrong or disagree with them, and then in the next sentence say, but actually they're, they're saying something really beautiful, true, and good here. And, mm. uh, and that was just so appealing to me. Um, he also does a, a few different uh, theological things that I was finding really fun. He really emphasizes uh, the Trinity throughout his whole work. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, my, my previous uh, theology reading didn't really um, emphasize that in particular. So in the midst of my, uh, my PhD, a friend of mine who was also doing his doctoral degree, a guy named Cameron Clausing, and who's a professor down at Christ College in, in Sydney, Australia, um, we decided that uh, we really liked Bavink. We really liked his, his academic writings. Um, but what was not being emphasized in the field at the time uh, was really the the everyday Bavink or the the pastoral Bavink, the Bavink writing for his daughter or his um, his siblings, right? Mm. And so uh, we took it upon ourselves to really start translating as part of our PhD these works that highlighted that part of Bavink, the Bavink who is concerned with the person in the pew. Uh, so we started with uh, The Sacrifice of Praise, which was our first translation. I think that came out in 2019, and that was really concerned with the the time period in a Christian life, or the Christian's life, uh, after they've confessed their faith, but they haven't yet approached the Lord's table. Mm. And this was uh, something of a, a phenomenon in Reformed piety in the Netherlands. And uh, so that was actually Bobbing's bestseller. It went through uh, 16 different editions, but there wasn't really much attention being shown to it. And then after that, we translated Guidebook for Instruction in the Christian Religion, which actually came out at the same time as What is Christianity? Uh, so it's uh, my 2022 book. And uh, and that book was a, a systematic theology for high schoolers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a few uh, academic reforms happening in the Netherlands at the time, and um, Bobbing's own daughter, Hannah, or Hanny, as he called her, Mm-hmm. Um, was just becoming a teenager. And so here we have really the top theologian in the Netherlands, and, and some would have said the, the top Calvinist theologian in the world at the time, um, writing this uh, theology primer for his daughter, which is just mm. so beautiful. It really uh, is. And then, yeah. Uh, and then on the heels of that, um, I decided that I would I would break off on my own. Cameron, my buddy, was too busy to uh, to join up with me on this one. And and, uh, and get into these two uh, essays by Bob Link that really try to get to the essence of Christianity. What What is Christianity? What does it mean to to talk about uh, being a Christian? And, mm-hmm. uh, and so then this produced the book, uh, What is Christianity, that we're talking about today. Well, What is Christianity has a link up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Gregory Parker Jr. is the translator on this book from the original Dutch. And what was what did you notice? I mean, one of the th- challenges I have when studying scripture, preparing a sermon, whatever it is, is the fact that, I mean, I don't have the academic knowledge you do in terms of two master's degrees, a PhD in systematic theology, that type of thing. But just as a casual lay minister, you know, you can do a little due diligence online. You can compare Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and things like that. For a work like this, though, where it, it, it's very personal because he's writing these books to a very, very you know important audience to him, his family. Um, the idea, though, that it has more universal appeal, did you face any challenges in terms of, gosh, there's no English way to say what he wrote in Dutch? Yeah, uh, there, there were a couple uh, phrases. I can't remember what they were uh, off the top of my head. Um, but, but Cameron and I have a few friends in the Netherlands and our uh, academic doctoral father or doctor supervisor um, is also fluent in Dutch. And so anytime we came upon an issue where, you know, perhaps we couldn't find it in, a, in an old Dutch dictionary or we were just really struggling with uh, the phrasing, it just didn't seem like it was coming together well. 
uh, we would send it off to one of our friends. And then we did actually have two Dutch uh, natives, two theology students at the uh, theological school in Compton, uh, read through the whole of our last two translations. And so uh, we've got the approval of, uh, of the Dutch men and women on the ground. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was really, really encouraging to us. Um, yeah. Well, I am grateful that Dr. Gregory Parker is with us today here on The Bottom Line to talk about uh, the book, What is Christianity?, originally written by Herman Bovink and uh, translated into English for us by Dr. Parker Jr. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I love the fact that you've broken it down, well, he did, into, you know, pretty easy to digest parts. And it's interesting because when you consider when this was written, and how it relates to 21st century life, and especially for an American audience, what is your hope that we Christians here in the States would take away from something like this, knowing that it was written in, you know, for such a time as that, you know, back in the early 20th century, as opposed to where we are today, and for a culture that was, dare I say, completely different than the culture that you're working in right now, Dr. Parker? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Roger. Uh, so there are, there are probably two things primarily to note. Um, so, so one, this is a, a publisher that he uh, only ever published this particular book with. So it's it's pretty unique within Bobbing's own corpus. And part of the reason that he published it with them is because he was invited to write it for a popular audience in a series uh, that was really addressing all the religions at the time. So you had books on Islam, books on animism, books on Judaism. And then Bobbin got asked to write this one on Christianity. So he's really he's really writing for a potentially hostile audience. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that sense, I think it is uh, quite a persuasive book. And that definitely comes across. He also comes across a little bit more uh, maybe ecumenical. Uh, so he's, he's part of uh, this group of theologians at the turn of the 20th century that are, are really interested in presenting kind of a united Christian front. Uh, they're recognizing that um, that all this infighting, all this hostility amongst Christians is really not helping uh, the cause of evangelizing and making Christ's name great. And so mm. uh, as he retells history, uh, you can definitely tell that he is a Calvinist every now and then. He'll, he'll uh, kind of let you know, hey, I, I think Calvin did this the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but really the, the major thread uh, is he's really trying to remind us that uh, what unites us as Christians is far greater uh, than what separates us or distinguishes us. And and that's um, a really key point for him. And then, the, so the second point, if I can uh, remind myself what my two points are, the first one is that it's a really unique um, writing that he did with, for a distinct publisher, and therefore he's writing potentially for a hostile audience. Uh, the second thing that, that comes through uh, is he really identifies truths, I think, that, that remain uh, truthful to us today. Um, mm. So he highlights the authority of Scripture. He highlights the, um, the answer to his, uh, his great question, what is Christianity? Is, uh, is Christ himself? That every human has to reckon with this question of who is Jesus Christ. And the content of that question is what makes up the Christian religion. Uh, he also talks about us in in a very, uh, if I can uh, say this without being too academic, very mm-hmm. Augustinian manner. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, which sure. is that we as humans are very restless, and uh, and as we he tracks through Christian history and gets into 
modernity, and I think this still uh, very much applies to post-modernity or or post-post-modernity, whatever you want to say that, <laughs> what kind <laughs> yeah, of time period. We're wherever in we now. are now, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, I, I think we're still uh, very restless as creatures. So his um, his uh, analyzing of the, the human condition uh, still comes through as very, very palatable and very comfortable in, in today. And uh, and then what, what provides us rest? Well, uh, according to Bavink, only the triune God can provide us rest and peace and joy and bliss. And so even the solution uh, is still timely for today. Dr. Gregory Parker Jr. is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. We're talking about the book, What is Christianity? Originally written in Dutch by uh, Dr. Uh, Herman Bovink and uh, translated into English for us by Dr. Parker. We've got a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. This is an exciting time. We just finished our first movie. We had a great turnout from KBRT, and we want you to know that you're invited to the second one. Those of you who missed it, because we know there's quite a few who would like to have come, it's going to be on February the 25th. It's going to be at the Gem Theater. They're going to have free popcorn, free sodas, and free hot dogs. It's a fun location. It's a fun place to go and take you back in time. But really what it does is it's even more fun to get the information because the information that you get can really be vital to where you are now or where you're going to be in five years from now. And so when do you start thinking about retirement? Well, you better start thinking about it now. And and so this will get you ahead of the ball, get you ahead of the curve. We can't emphasize enough that it is really a, for lack of a better word, it's a non-denominational movie. It's just there to give you the facts and let you disseminate how and what you're going to do with your future. Call 800-696-9970. That's 800-696-9970. Or fill out the contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, uh, Dr. Gregory Parker, my guest today here on the program. We're talking about his new book called What is Christianity, which is kind of a bold title to have for a resource, but it's actually based on a couple of essays that were written by uh, Dutch theologian Dr. Herman Bovink back at the late 19th century and early 20th century. I think the second was published in 1921, or uh, no, it was published before 21. That's when Dr. Bovink uh, actually passed away. But here we are 100 years later asking and answering the question because the culture often asks this question. People outside the church, what exactly is Christianity? And the church, I mean, you've got the Anglican church making a big announcement earlier this week that they are now formally not only recognizing same-sex quote-unquote marriage, but they are actively encouraging people who are in same-sex marriages, quote-unquote, to attend church. At, they've not gone so far as to say that they'll perform same-sex weddings yet, but that's just a matter of time before that happens. So in a culture that has such a hard time defining what Christianity is, uh, Dr. Herman, Herman Bovink actually does, uh, provides a historical st- sketch of the nature of Christianity. And quite frankly, with all the division in the world right now, how Christianity has a unifying power. We do have a copy of the book to give away right now, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the book is What is Christianity? by Dr. Herman Bovink, translated into English by my guest today, Dr. Gregory Parker. We'll have more of my conversation with Dr. Parker on the other side of this break as this Ash Wednesday edition of The Bottom Line Show continues in just a moment, so keep it right here. 
Dr. Gregory Parker Jr., my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We're talking about a book that he has recently translated into English from the original Dutch by Dr. Herman, Herman Bovink. It's called What is Christianity? There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's a collection of a couple of essays that Dr. Bovink wrote uh, back in uh, the, the late 20th, late 20th century. Is that when he wrote those originally? Um, what, when were they published? Or early 20th century, I should say. Yeah, yeah. So the, the first uh, essay in the book uh, was published in 1912, and then the, the second one was published in 1883. So you actually have really a, a fully orbed uh, of Bovink, if I can say that. You have uh, an essay that addresses really uh, him walking out of his doctoral degree and wanting to kind of strut his stuff a little bit and give a, <laughs> an answer here to what is the Christian faith. And this is really the, the second essay uh, in the book. Um, it really walks you through the Apostles' Creed. Um, if, if any of your uh, listeners uh, subscribe to uh, Modern Reformation, which would be a mm -hmm. magazine, um, a, a little sneak peek of uh, his um, commentary on the Apostles' Creed can be found in there that I published with them a, a few months back. And then the first essay is the really the one that we've been talking the most about, uh, which is uh, originally called Christianity. And in this essay, he walks through uh, Christian faith or the, uh, the history of the Christian faith. B.B. Uh, Warfield said that he's not sure if anyone could have done it with such clarity and brevity. So it really is like about 60 pages, that section, walking through history, making it clear how Christians are united around their confession of Christ. And then even getting into the diversity of the church as we split off into the East and the West, and then eventually um, between Catholics and Protestants, um, he's really keen on trying to uh, remind us of what we have in common. Mm. So. Boy, what a powerful message for today, especially as we yeah. see uh, the the body of Christ, I think, uh, somewhat maligning itself. I want to say we were we are maligned by culture, but sometimes uh, these wounds seem self-inflicted with regard to unity, diversity, things of that nature, where we really were using the cultural definition as opposed to the biblical definition. And and that seems like a real strength of, uh, of Herman Bovink and grateful that Dr. Gregory Parker Jr. has dedicated uh, this season of his life in ministry to studying this. Um, as we look at the differences between the two, I mean, I was just realizing, you know, pulling out my calendar, that there's a lot of water that went under the bridge between 1883 and 1912. What did that do you know, from Bovink, the young doctoral candidate who just finished up? And I like the way you talked about him strutting his stuff a little bit, because uh, I'm sure, you know, after all the work that you that you did for your Ph.D. and, you know, others do for theirs, that there's a point where you want to come out there and, you know, get on the edge of the boat and say, I'm the king of the world. You know, I mean, really, just out there do, really out there doing it. But at the same time, what 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 do we see? What do you notice that's different between Bobbick in 1883, Bobbick in 1912, and how does that apply to us here in 2023? Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, as a, a personal anecdote, um, I had to laugh this past Christmas. You know, have, having just received my doctoral degree uh, over the summer, my, my mom's Christmas card that she sent me said Mr. Greg Parker, and I thought, Mom, what did I do all that work for? <laughs> Um, and so there, there's definitely uh, this this um, situation you find yourself in where you really do want to uh, uh, declare what you've learned and, and get excited about um, the, the things you spent so much time in the library studying, right? Yes, yeah, um, absolutely. 
So, so a bunch of things really changed in, in Bavinck's life between uh, 1883 and 1912. Uh, namely, that he moved schools about the turn of the 20th century, and he really established himself as the premier theologian in the Netherlands. Um, other than that, uh, the, the group that he belonged to also kind of became a thing. Um, most people, if they haven't heard of uh, Bavinck, have heard of Abraham Kuyper. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was uh, sort of his henchman? Uh, one one uh, <laughs> one um, historian in the Netherlands has described uh, Abraham Kuyper and Herman Bavink as like Mercedes and Benz. Uh, you really can't say <laughs> one without the other. Uh, so it's great that uh, people are getting to know of Herman Bavink. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Kuyper started this school and really uh, gathered together all these Calvinists and some people in. Uh, the Dutch culture were kind of making fun of them or picking on them and called them uh, neo-Calvinists or new ca- uh, Calvinists. So not necessarily thinking of the matrix when they said neo. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and at first uh, they didn't really like the, the label, but eventually they, they really uh, rallied around it, that it was a good thing that they were trying to recover uh, reformed theology in the Netherlands. And so um, they, they rallied around this title of neo-Calvinist, um, personal details, uh, Bobbin would have gotten married between then and had a kid. So his, his social situation would have entirely changed. Um, and so he, he was really an old man by the time he wrote the, the second one in 1912. And, uh, you can kind of tell his, his posture has uh, changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in earlier essays of his, he's a little bit more, uh, cagey. Uh, he wants to make it clear how his, uh, Dutch group is very specific and how they're different from um, all the rising other uh, theological groups and particularly liberalism that's um, having its its heyday in, in the Netherlands. And by this 1912 um, essay, he's he's really more interested in in saying, all right, like let's let's get to the finish line strong together. Uh, he he really wants to present Christianity as a united front. Uh, and again, uh, that's not to say he doesn't disagree with people. Um, it's, it's rather to say that his, his general peaceful demeanor or his interest in uh, loving others as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ uh, maybe comes across a little bit stronger uh, in, in the tail end of his life. Mm. Boy, that's, it's so encouraging to see this work, seeing the light of day, especially in English, because uh, it's a lot easier for us to read your work than for us <laughs> to do this work on our own, Dr. Gregory Parker Jr. So thank you for that. Uh, we've got about 60 seconds left in our time together. Can you give us your more, most succinct, I mean, we the book isn't terribly long, so I mean, I encourage our bottom line listeners to go to our website and get a copy of the book and, you know, read it. But can you give us maybe a 60-second answer? How would Bob Inc. today, if he were sitting here with us, answer the question, what is Christianity? Yeah, I think he would uh, point us once more back to Christ, uh, that uh, unlike uh, other religions that are uh, kind of uh, taught out of by some sort of prophet or guru man, uh, Christ himself declares himself, uh, that, that he is uh, the one who we are to be saved by, uh, the, way, the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, so I, I really think, uh, just as he made m- makes much of Christ uh, in these uh, two essays and in this one book, uh, I think he would do the same today and remind us of that uh, singular truth, that 
Christianity is really defined by our understanding of who Christ is. Dr. Gregory Parker, Jr., Assistant Professor in the School of Divinity at his alma mater, Cairn University, and author of the, well, I should say, translator of the brand new book called What is Christianity? featuring the works of Dr. Herman Bovink. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Greg, thank you so much for the time that you have taken to uh, pursue this calling. And uh, you've also given me a reason to think next time the Amazon driver pulls up to my front door, I, I might want to ask him, what are you studying? What do you really want to do? Because uh, it, may, <laughs> it may turn out to be another Craig Parker Jr. and his gifted mm-hmm. theologian, you know, just working that job to make ends meet until God has his, ready, his next step in ministry ready for him. But thanks for being with us today on The Bottom Line Show. Really appreciate the visit. Thanks so much, Roger. It was a pleasure to be on. What a great conversation. What a fascinating book, too. Dr. Gregory Parker. The book is called What is Christianity by Dr. Herman Bovink, a Dutch theologian. And uh, Dr. Parker actually did his uh, doctoral dissertation on the issue of this book and what uh, Bovink brings up in his uh, his hypothesis and what he defends in his dissertation. Uh, the book, What is Christianity, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have one copy of it to give away, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Of course, today is Ash Wednesday, but it's also Everyone Wednesday here on the Bottom Line Show. Please know that when you do call, if you don't win the Herman Bovink book, there are lots of other great prizes that we're giving away. We've got some Charles Stanley calendars and some uh, DVDs and uh, of uh, CDs rather of. Uh, teachings from Dr. David Jeremiah and Dr. Uh, Charles Stanley, two of our great ministry partners. Of course, Dennis Wilson, Wilson Financial Services, would love to welcome you this Saturday morning to a special screening of the movie that he is presenting called The Baby Boomer Dilemma. If you have a question about your retirement, IRA, 401k, and the like, uh, this movie answers them. It features interviews with the guy who actually created the 401k, and, uh, you know, what, what he got right about it and now what he regrets about it. I mean, let's face it, Dennis calls these accounts ticking tax time bombs because they seem like a good idea at the time, at tax time. Even guys like Dave Ramsey say, oh, yeah, maximize your 401k. It's the way to go. But trust me, um, having my mom and dad have been retired for nearly 30 years each and, you know, pushing 90 this year, which we're super excited about. But when it comes to their retirement, the idea that they would be in a lower tax bracket just isn't accurate. I mean, they have pensions, they've got required minimum distributions that they have to take that um, they're, and when you're in that higher tax bracket, you're not paying less on the money. You're actually paying more at a time when you really need to have the revenue for medical expenses and things of that nature. So this is not a, you're bad if you have a 401k or an IRA. It's more of an informational video as to how to uh, manage, navigate those waters, why you got into it the way you did. And then, of course, Dennis is around to answer some solutions. Free hot dogs, free popcorn, free soda, and free tickets, too. Just call 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. So you're it's everyone Wednesday. You, you either want to ask for tickets for Dennis Wilson's movie this Saturday in Garden Grove. So it's in Orange County. 11.30 a.m. at the Gem Theater. Or you want to get your name in the drawing for the book by Dr. Herman Bovink, translated into English by Gregory Parker Jr., my guest today on the program, answering the question, what is Christianity? We also have some freebies from David Jeremiah and Charles Stanley. In other words, there's just inundate Crystal with your phone calls at 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 
800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, we're going to take a look at Ash Wednesday from a slightly different perspective. Um, talk about the care and redemption of our souls uh, regarding why uh, it's important for us to look at this as a time of renewal and restoration, but also rebuilding. And I have a challenge for you toward that end with regard to the sanctity of human life and our friends at Preborn. So let's tackle all those subjects coming up next as the bottom line continues. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Coverlaw used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover, she knows the other side. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show, Ash Wednesday edition of the program. If you got your ashes, good for you. Hey, you know, t- get a picture, t- get a selfie, send it to us here at thebottomlineshow.com. We'd love to include them on social media. It's it's always fun to you know when people ask what's up with the cross on your forehead. Um, people, oh, you're Catholic or you're this or you're that, and you don't necessarily have to be any one denomination. It's not uh, exclusive to Catholics or Lutherans or Episcopalians or Anglicans or whatever. But rather, I think anybody who's a Christ follower, you know, having the ash cross on your forehead on Ash Wednesday, it's kind of a precursor to the marking that's going to wind up on, you know, your person as we get into the end times. It becomes a lot more uh, valuable, if you will. And uh, so I encourage you to get those selfies to us. 800-227-5278. It's Everyone Wednesday here on the Bottom Line Show. Dr. Herman Bovink's book, What is Christianity? Translated into English by my guest today, Gregory Parker Jr. Uh, it's up for grabs. We've got a copy of that. that. Also, Dennis Wilson, movie tickets for this uh, Saturday morning, the Baby Boomer Dilemma documentary, outstanding show, 11.30 a.m. Free soda, free popcorn, and free hot dogs this time, too. Um, 800-227-5278. And since everyone wins something today, um, everyone wins today, then you have the opportunity to win something nice from Charles Stanley, uh, Dr. David Jeremiah, the list goes on. Hey, I, I have a challenge for us today here on Ash Wednesday. Something I just really felt compelled to share with you. I want to get into the Ash Wednesday conversation. I want to get into what's happened at Asbury and now at uh, Cedarville, at uh, uh Baylor had a big, you know, blowout last weekend. I mean, it's happening on college campuses. But our friends at Preborn, um, I think, need our help. And today is the first day of the 40 Days for Life campaign that happens every year, kicks off on Ash Wednesday, 40daysforlife.com, the number 40, and then daysforlife.com. Find a place where you can be in prayer for the sanctity of human life, for the uh, unborn or the preborn, if you will. And know that there are women right now, especially during this time of year, who are saying, oh my gosh, I got pregnant and I don't know. And it's not just typically, you know, oftentimes we think of the so-called unplanned pregnancy 
as something that happens to like a teenage girl and you know the the stereotype is you know she and her boyfriend go and get the abortion and mom and dad say they'll kick us out of the house if we don't have this you know because we don't want you to have a kid etc 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 and what we're finding more and more is that abortion isn't because of sexual assault as often as the media would like us to believe less than two percent of abortions in the united states happen because a woman was sexually assaulted either through rape or incest the vast majority of and and when it comes to medical necessity less than a half a percent i mean it's safe to say conservatively that maybe three percent of the abortions that happen in the united states are because the woman's health is at risk a woman was raped or it was a victim of incest the other 97% of abortions that happen in the U.S. each and every year, statistically, Charlotte Lozier Institute has these numbers if you want to look them up. Statistically, around 97% of abortions are what we would call elective abortions. That means a woman got pregnant and didn't want to be pregnant. I didn't want to carry the child to term. Didn't want to have to deal with it. And I just, I'm, I'm moved by that, especially here on Ash Wednesday, because when I think of the 40 days that we will spend in prayer and reflection and contemplation, giving up certain things, like some people are saying, I'm not doing social media for the next 40 days. Other people are saying, I'm not eating chocolate or people are giving up alcohol, whatever they do. I wonder if maybe we might also add to that, well, how can I better reflect upon my life in Christ and the life that has been rescued. Think of the 64 million babies who never had a chance to see the light of day in this life, in this country, over the past 50 years because of the legalization of abortion. Think of the response that happened when Roe versus Wade was passed in 1973 and then overturned in 2022, and how many states have doubled down, tripled down on you know, California wanted to codify abortion into California state constitution, and now it is because we, the people, voted for it. I mean, I don't know if too many bottom line show listeners who voted in favor of Prop 1, but uh, the state overwhelmingly approved it. And now you've got this dividing line where half the states in the U.S. are pro-abortion and half the states in the U.S. are pro-life. <clears throat> so, you know, the, the idea that 64 million kids have been aborted, the pro-abortion industry has been moving. They've been preparing for this day, for a while, they have actually moved away from the so-called surgical abortion. If you saw the movie Unplanned, <clears throat> you saw Abby Johnson portrayed on the screen by Ashley Bratcher, uh, legs up in the stirrups having that kind of abortion. That's less than half of abortions in the U.S. now. They're using pills, pills that have not been uh, tested for this purpose, pills that have been <clears throat> are you being used without regulation. And I just, there's something tells me that the more women learn the truth about what's going on, first of all, that is a baby inside your womb that's growing there. The ultrasound shows you the image. These 4D ultrasounds are incredible. But then we see that when a woman sees the ultrasound image and hears the heartbeat, you realize, well, first of all, I'm not in an abortion clinic because they do all that there, but they make the woman pay for the service of the pregnancy test, pay for the ultrasound, and they never give her a chance to see it. And their reason is it's too traumatic. She wouldn't want to see that because it's just, you know why it's traumatic is because she'll see the face of her child and say, oh my goodness, that's my baby. Why are you going to end my baby's life? So the abortion industry stacks the deck against women. That's why preborn is so important. What preborn does is says, hey, wait a minute. 
ma'am, we're going to give you the tools that you need. We're going to show you your child. We're going to let you hear the baby's heartbeat. We're going to provide you with the resources that you need, whether it's a, a lawyer to handle the adoption, once you release the child after he or she's born, we're going to tell you about educational opportunities, housing opportunities, job opportunities, you know, baby showers for baby things. I mean, the, the whole nine yards, as it were. 40 Days for Life makes this their mission to <clears throat> go to abortion clinics and to pray and to let women know you have options because the abortion clinic isn't going to tell you what your options are. And there's a good chance that 40 Days will refer a woman to a preborn clinic and say, go to the clinic, get the ultrasound done. This is where we stand in the gap. Preborn has partnered with us here at the Bottom Line Show to raise awareness for ultrasound technology and also to raise funding. Every penny you donate to Preborn today will go to ultrasounds either in the form of a $28 donation for one ultrasound that covers the pregnancy test, the ultrasound, costs the technician the whole shot. So that means $140 donation is for five ultrasounds, $280 for $10, $2,800 for $100. 85% of the time when a woman goes to a preborn clinic and sees the ultrasound, hears the heartbeat, she chooses either to become a mother, raise that child on her own, or to give birth to the child and release that child for adoption. And preborn helps walk through all of that. So here's my challenge to us today. 40 days for life, 40 babies. I know we can do this. There's no matching grant today. There's no incentive. I know sometimes we do a two-for-one match and people go, oh, sure, I'll donate for that. This is just us. It's just you and it's just me. Can we get four Bottom Line Show listeners to donate $280? Can we get eight Bottom Line listeners to donate 140 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229. 833-850-BABY. It's completely tax deductible. I know you're probably getting ready to do your taxes right now, and you can't deduct it on last year's taxes, but you can for this year's. Come on. I mean, come on. How much did you spend on lunch yesterday? How much did you spend on dinner tonight? 28 bucks is, is a drop in the bucket. $280, I know we have four bottom line show listeners who will give 280 each and we'll get our 40 kids between now and the end of the program today. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229 or go to kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com. Look at the preborn banner there. Click on the preborn banner and make your best donation through there today. As we continue, gauntlets down, okay? As we continue, I want to take a look at Ash Wednesday through the lens of the Asbury Revival and share with you some rather, I think, humorous comments by the guy who preached the sermon that morning. And basically, he said, the, the gist of the message was Romans 12. He said, I want you to ask each other, do you love me? Based on the way it's defined in Romans 12. And his response to the message afterwards, shaking his head, wondering how this revival happened based on the message he gave. We'll talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this Ash Wednesday edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, a preborn push day today as well. Uh, 833-850-BABY is the number to call. We are seeking four Bottom Line Show listeners between now and the end of the program in about 35 minutes to make a donation of $280 apiece we want to say it's 40 days for life kicks off today. I want to say 40 babies today between now and the end of the program. Can you do it? I mean, $280, $140 saves five. If we have eight listeners 
who'd give $140 each, we could do this. Or if you'd like to make a donation of $28 a month for an entire year, that's 12 babies over the course of the year. 833-850-2229, 833-850-BABY, the number to call preborn today. Uh, you've probably seen what's happening, obviously, in Kentucky with uh, Asbury uh, University. And you've probably noticed that, uh, you know, thousands of people have descended upon the campus in Wilmore, Kentucky, and that it spread to several other universities. It's nice to see Baylor having it happen there, too. Sidebar, it's interesting to me that all three of the U.S. universities that have gotten the most attention so far have become pretty left-leaning, you know, progressive in their ideologies with regard to evolution and CRT and things like that. Why God would choose those places to launch a revolution, it's anyone's guess. But the pastor who gave the message that morning, and the morning of February the 8th, it was two weeks ago this started, his name is Zach Meerkrebs. He's a graduate of Asbury University, went to their seminary. Uh, He was a collegiate soccer player at Indiana Wesleyan. And now he, um, he works for a company called Envision, which is a Christian and missionary alliance ministry that's aimed at developing missional leaders. Um, he's a former pastor, and he currently serves as the assistant soccer coach for the men's team at Asbury as well. He gave the message, and (laughs) this is what he texted his wife after he gave the sermon that morning. He wrapped up, the music kind of came and swallowed him up. You can see that there's a video on YouTube that shows this. And he wrote to his wife, latest stinker, I'll be home soon. Um, In other words... This guy went and preached, and he said he didn't think it went that good. He he thought it was a bomb. I'll be honest with you. I watched the video, and he's not inaccurate. It was not great. The message wasn't. At least the style wasn't. At least the enthusiasm wasn't there. But what God did in that message is something that, though the Ash Wednesday service marks a season of reflection and repentance during the next 40 days, What's happening on these college campuses can be happening in our hearts, too. I'll talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome to The Bottom Line Show, or welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I know a lot of people, this is drive time on your way home, and you get a chance to pick us up, and I'm glad that you do, and you did. Thanks for tuning in today. It is Ash Wednesday. It's Everyone Wednesday. Uh, We're taking your calls at 800-227-5278 for a variety of different giveaways that we have. We've got tickets for Dennis Wilson's screening of The Baby Boomer Dilemma, which is coming up this Saturday at the Gem Theater in Garden Grove, 1130 a.m. Tickets are free. Actually, you're not winning tickets. We're putting your name on a guest list. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We also have goodies from Dr. David Jeremiah and Charles Stanley, a couple of uh, uh, CD collections of sermon series that they've put out. And Charles Stanley has a calendar, I believe, too, that we're still giving away. Um, you can call Crystal for that as well. Everybody who calls in is going to win something, 800-227-5278. And then today is this kickoff of 40 Days for Life, and our friends at 40daysforlife.com are going to abortion clinics all across the country and praying respectfully, quietly, silently. They are in prayer. And because they are in prayer, uh, I think it's a wonderful organization. I mean, I'm not big on the whole protest thing or whatever, but I've enjoyed the times that I've gone out to join our brothers and sisters at 40 Days for Life in doing so. Um, 
our friends at Preborn are on a mission to get as many ultrasound machines as we can into preborn clinics. And since it's 40 days for life, our goal today in the next half hour of the program is to get donations from bottom line listeners to rescue 40 babies. It's $28 per ultrasound, 85% of the time, I guess that's changed my math, 85% of the time a woman goes to a preborn clinic um, and she has an ultrasound she decides to either keep the child or release the child for adoption. So let me do my math here real quick. I want to do that stat. Um, yeah, it's actually, uh, it, we would actually be looking at, I, I said we're going to save 40 babies' lives. We really need to get to 50 if that statistical analysis is going to stay accurate. Uh, 800 or 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229. A $28 donation saves one baby. A $140 donation saves five. A $280 donation saves 10. A $1,400 donation saves 50. A $2,800 donation saves 100. And if God has blessed you and you're feeling led and you've got the ability to make a $15,000 donation or maybe a $7,500 donation, I'll tell you what, it's $15,000 to put a, uh, a, an ultrasound machine in a preborn clinic. And we've actually been able to raise enough for six of these so far over the last three, four months. I want to make sure we can do a seventh as well. So in addition to the 40 children that we're trying to rescue uh, in preborn clinics, mom has the ultrasound, chooses life for the baby. It's really a simple equation. And the money stays here by the hair. What's raised here stays here. But when you make that donation, consider, prayerfully consider making a $3,750 donation for a fourth of an ultrasound machine or $7,500 for half an ultrasound machine or $15,000 for a whole ultrasound machine. Um, Every ultrasound machine can perform 250 ultrasounds every year for a minimum of 10 years. So you can do 250, 10 years, 2,500 babies saved. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229 833-850-2229 or go to kbrightradio.com and click on the banner and you can find it there. The Asbury Revival, which is wrapping up, I understand, today or tomorrow. Uh, Ash Wednesday, a good day for that. Two weeks that has really captivated people on social media. Um, you know, it's several thousand people have gone to, we all know where Wilmore, Kentucky is now. And we all have heard of the Hughes Auditorium on the campus of Asbury University. But it was Wednesday morning, two weeks ago, February the 8th, that a young youth pastor by the name of Zach Meerkrebs, who now works for a Christian missional organization called Envision, uh, he's a, the assistant men's soccer coach at Asbury. He's a graduate of Asbury Seminary, had been in the pastoral ministry for a while. And he looked like he had been out in the road doing a lot of messaging, and then he had this morning message. And I, I'll be honest with you, I, he gave an interview with churchleaders.com where he said, you know what, when he came to that message, I thought I pretty well tanked. I have no idea why people are responding the way they did. He texted his wife and said, latest stinker, I'll be home soon. He thought the sermon bombed. And I'll be honest with you, brothers and sisters, you can, there's a link for that service um, up at the bottomlineshow.com if you want to see it. Um, I was, I am not in disagreement with him. His presentation was flat, uninspiring, like, hey, I'm trying to be cool, but I'm not really cool. There was a little bit of snark into it that I didn't think was appropriate. And I get it. You're at a Christian college, and all those kids are there, and they, they've been to chapel a million times before, and they've heard this all before. And he gets up there, Romans 12, love one another, 
you know, as much as it pertains to you, live peaceably with all people, et cetera, et cetera. But then what happened afterwards was the praise team came up. Actually, he was droning on and he was running over and the for time wise. And I, I can appreciate this. If you've ever had to preach on a schedule. He I mean, the band was playing kind of like the Academy Awards. So I better wrap up my speech here. And he finished. The praise team sang a song and then they said, hey, if you want to stay in here afterwards for prayer, you're welcome to hang out. And he did. I mean, they, they left. He left. The, uh, he sent the text to his wife. Uh, the praise team took off. About 20 students hung around. And one of the students in that group started praying and confessing. And when there was prayer, confession, and repentance, the Holy Spirit showed up in a big way. And two weeks later, thousands of people have called from all over the country to be a part of this revival. It spilled over into other countries. I, I think it's appropriate that on Ash Wednesday, we take a look at this year. Because... When you look at what God's word has to say, you begin to realize that maybe there's a parallel here between what's happening at Asbury and what happened in the minor prophet Joel's account of the temple in Jerusalem back in Joel chapter 2. You may have heard the, the verse before. Even now declares the Lord, if you return to me with all your heart. Uh, and this is the rend your heart and not your garments type of thing because typically what would happen is you know, if someone was in mourning over the death of someone in Jesus' day, they would tear their clothing, you know, sackcloth and ashes. It's part of the reason I think why we get ash crosses, ash and crosses on our forehead is we're mourning our sin. We're mourning our sinful tendencies. But the temple in Jerusalem, you know, the one that Solomon built, had fallen into disrepair. And we're talking centuries had gone by. Misuse, abuse, no one paid attention to it. Second Chronicles 24 and following, that's where you see the repair of the temple. But basically, they fixed the temple. They started worshiping again at the temple, but God's word to them through the prophet Joel was, hey, wait, your bodies are here. You restored the temple, but your hearts are nowhere close. And when you think about, I mean, the, the, that idea that people would show up in a church building and follow the order of worship and he would say all the right words and sing all the right songs. And God says, yeah, but you know what? You're doing all the right things, but I don't see your heart. And literally, the, the, it, it takes a, a, an act of repentance that has a three-part component to it. First of all, obviously return. Got to return to the Lord. I mean, that's, you know, he says, you know, return to me with all your heart. I mean, you, you've been far from me. You need to return. Secondly, you need to rend your heart. And I love this. Rend your heart and not your garments. If you look at the Hebrew word, it's ba'a or bakwa, I believe. In Greek, now this is going to sound crazy. It's schizo. And the Greek word for rend literally can be translated into English as to break open. Now think about that for a moment. Have you ever been in a situation with somebody who is just uptight about whatever it is, a relationship, a job, things, anything? And what do we talk about when we finally get through to them? We say, we had a breakthrough. How did we have the breakthrough? The breakthrough goes like this. First of all, you have to have a broken heart. The heart literally has to be broken open. If you're going to rend your heart to God, God says, don't tear your clothes. Don't throw ashes on your head. Don't tear your clothes. Rend your heart to me. And then repent. And repenting literally means it doesn't, a lot of people think repentance is about saying, I'm sorry, God, I'm really sorry. What it means literally is to repent means to turn away from, turn away from the sinful nature 
of what you're doing. Just turn far away from it. I think about what happened at Asbury and how important it is for us in the body of Christ to understand that the repentance that's happening right now is real. People have returned to God. We see a rending, a breaking of the hearts and true repentance of their sin. And something tells me there are a lot of young people in the Generation Z category that are drawn to this simply because maybe they've never experienced it before. Do you ever get that feeling that sometimes there have been so many young people in Generation Z who grew up in the programmed church that what's happening to them is they know how to check off all the boxes. They know how to say all the right things. They've been on all the right mission trips. They did the purity pledges, et cetera, et cetera. But that was all the external stuff. And God is saying to these young people and this young generation, rend not your garments, but your heart. I changed the order there just to drive it home. How important is us? is it for us to come before the Lord with hearts that are literally broken open? It's funny because, I mean, ironic, because in the Greek, the word schizo, of course, we get a word schizophrenia from that. And when people think of that, we go, oh, no way, that's a double-minded person. That's somebody who can't keep their thoughts together. I don't want that to happen to me. Well, maybe not to your mind, but if your heart breaks, what was it Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision, used to say? Let my heart break for the things that break the heart of God. Some words to think about as we consider the Asbury revival here on this Ash Wednesday. More of this conversation in just a moment as the bottom line continues. This is an exciting time. We just finished our first movie. We had a great turnout from KBRT, and we want you to know that you're invited to the second one. Those of you who missed it, because we know there's quite a few who would like to have come, it's going to be on February the 25th. It's going to be at the Gem Theater. They're going to have free popcorn, free sodas, and free hot dogs. It's a fun location. It's a fun place to go and take you back in time. But really what it does is it's even more fun to get the information because the information that you get can really be vital to where you are now or where you're going to be in five years from now. And so when do you start thinking about retirement? Well, you better start thinking about it now. And and so this will get you ahead of the ball, get you ahead of the curve. We can't emphasize enough that it is really a, for lack of a better word, it's a non-denominational movie. It's just there to give you the facts and let you disseminate how and what you're going to do with your future. Call 800-696-9970. That's 800-696-9970. Or fill out the contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Ash Wednesday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. 40 Days for Life begins today, and in honor of that, we are purposing here at The Bottom Line Show to raise support for preborn to save 40 babies right now. And your $28 donation gets one of those babies saved through an ultrasound uh, appointment at a preborn clinic. Doesn't cost the woman who goes in for the appointment anything. Uh, we cover the cost, but we do that by giving our donations. $280 saves 10 kids. We're looking to save 40 kids on behalf of uh, uh, preborn and 40 Days for Life. 833-850-BABY is the number to call to make your donation. 833-850-2229. If 280 is not in your budget, $140 will save five kids. $28 a month for an annual gift. I mean, that's one child every month. That's 12 kids every year. Let's get 40 between now and the end of the program, another 15 minutes or so. Take a look at the Asbury Revival through the lens of Scripture, and here on Ash Wednesday, why not? Looking at Joel chapter 2 and the uh, the rend not your heart and not your garments passage of Scripture 
then helps us remember that true repentance looks like us returning to God, literally rending our heart, and the Greek word schizo means to break open. Um, that's where we are, literally. Your heart is broken open. Don't tear your clothes, tear your heart. And then uh, God says, look, I'm sending you grain, new wine, and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. And we know that we will be ridiculed for our faith here in in the modern world, but once we have the body of Christ, we, we've got that protection. And I think that's what a lot of people in Generation Z are looking for, which is why this is really their revival time. So once we have the repentance part in terms of uh, uh, how we can experience spiritual renewal during Lent, the second part is reconciliation. And this is where a lot of younger people are, are, are in desperate need of hearing this. Take a look at what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. How many young people cried out to God during this revival, have done so during this revival, and felt as though they were heard? I've heard this too many times from younger folk who have left the church, and George Barna's research indicates that this is accurate nationwide, and that is, I had a question about, take your pick, sexual promiscuity, sexual orientation, drug and alcohol abuse, uh, why is the climate so, so it's not a priority of the church? What about uh, patriarchy or this, that, the other thing in the church? And what do they say is the number one reason for leaving the church? Is because they brought those concerns to the church elders and they fell on deaf ears. A lot of young people have given up praying because they don't think God hears them. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 6 2, as God's co workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. In the time of my favor, God says, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. If this revival that's happening at Asbury can be replicated anywhere, it's because revival can happen in the hearts of us individually. But then you say, well, wait a minute, Roger. I mean, we're talking about people who have been wounded by the church or by society. They've been victimized by some kind of abuse. And why would they believe in a God who they can't see with wounds that haven't healed? Well, maybe it's because we're looking for healing for the individual temporal, this is what's going on type of stuff, as opposed to the real healing that we need. The condition that we have in this culture is sin. We are sinful fallen people born into a sinful fallen world. And if that part doesn't get taken care of, our boo-boos and our, our bruises and bumps pale in comparison to getting the sin equation right. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.21? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, made right according to God's standards. We're healed from the biggest, worst condition that faces mankind, and that's sin. For the past three years, almost three years to the day, since our culture has been battling a pandemic, a virus that we couldn't see, an enemy that would get inside and would mess with our breathing, our respiratory systems, our heart rate, would take hold of people's bodies, especially those who are elderly and infirm or wearing down, or maybe those who are overweight or had high blood pressure or diabetic. I mean, these are all conditions, comorbidities, if you will, that could lead to the end of your life sooner. And then you throw COVID in the mix and it makes it even worse. 
and people were doing everything they could to make sure that they were healed or protected from getting infected by COVID and not paying attention to the fact that there's a virus that's way worse than COVID-19 or cancer or anything else that could hit us, and that is sin. But when God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, which we celebrate on Easter Sunday, his resurrection, and Good Friday, his crucifixion, we are heard by God, the cry of our heart that we want to be healed. We're healed by God. And then God doesn't just say, okay, I'm glad you're healed. Have a good time until you are taken home to heaven. You know, go get a good job, get an education, get married, raise a family, uh, have a couple of kids, you know, uh, then retire, travel the world, you know, have a good retirement, live the American dream, and then I'll see you on the other side. It's not like that. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 3 through 10, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we are commending ourselves in every way, in great endurance and troubles, hardships and distresses and beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left through glory and dishonor, bad reporting, good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful and yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. God makes us helpful for other people. It's a reason why I'm urging you to contact Preborn today. Talk about the ultimate in helpfulness. Help a woman who's facing a pregnancy that she was not anticipating and the world is telling her, kill the kid. Though they're not using those words. They're saying, end your pregnancy. Get pregnant when you want to be pregnant. Trust us. And they have an insidious agenda for killing the child, harvesting the organs, making money, and leaving you with a lifetime of shame and guilt and and regret. But preborn offers you the opportunity to stand in the gap for a woman who says, I don't know what to do. You say, well, first and foremost, let's take a look at what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with the child. And there he is. There she is. Aren't they good looking? In that ultrasound image, you can hear the heartbeat. When a person's heart stops beating, we say that they've expired or they're no longer living. So when a person starts beating and you hear that heartbeat, that means they are alive. You can be helpful when you pick up the phone and call Preborn right now at 833-850-BABY and make a donation. Save one baby's life with a $28 gift. Save two babies' lives at $56. Save five babies' lives at 140 Our goal today is 40 babies to save in honor of the 40 Days for Life campaign. Can we make this goal? 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229. Or go online to kbrightradio.com, hit the banner for uh, preborn. And I've also got it up at rogermarsh.com if that's easier to remember. And make your best donation today. $280 saves 10 babies. $2,800 saves 100. Will you make that donation today here on Ash Wednesday? Some final thoughts about Asbury and Ash Wednesday coming up next as the bottom line continues. 
You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to this Ash Wednesday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, grateful for all the people who have been calling preborn today. It's a preborn push on the start of 40 Days for Life. We want to save 40 kids' lives. And every time you make a donation of $28, another baby is rescued because mom gets to see the ultrasound at a preborn clinic, get a free uh, pregnancy test to confirm the pregnancy, and then have the ultrasound, see the baby's image on the screen, hear the heartbeat, and then just 85% of the time, A woman who goes through that process winds up choosing life for the baby. A $280 donation saves 10 kids. I'm using that as kind of a benchmark because we want to save at least 40 today at uh, 833-850-BABY. Or if you'd like to give a $15,000 donation, and I know there are bottom line listeners who can do that, or a $7,500, $15,000, every $15,000 we raise, we get another ultrasound machine. And the ultrasound machines can do 250 ultrasounds a year for at least 10 years. That means at least 2,500 babies' lives will be saved with that donation. 833-850-BABY, the number to call for preborn, or go to kbrightradio.com and click on the banner for preborn today. Looking at the Asbury revival, and I just, I have to commend, and I, and I mean this most sincerely, because um, I share this on social media, I have to commend Pastor Zach Meerkrebs, who is a itinerant pastor with a missional group called Envision. He is an Asbury Theological Seminary graduate. He played his soccer, collegiate soccer at Indiana Wesleyan University, and he shares in the message how he was the first guy in Division One soccer to ever be asked to leave the team because he had kind of a lousy attitude. He is an assistant coach on the men's soccer team at Asbury, and he gave the message two weeks ago in the chapel service that lit the world on fire. And afterwards, I mean, I watched it and I shared with Lisa, I said, you know, babe, I mean, this guy, I mean, I don't want to say phoned it in, but you could tell he was not really engaged. The crowd wasn't engaged. It's a bunch of college students who have to go to chapel. So they were there checking off the box. And he finally acknowledged, he gave an interview to a group called the Free Press. And he sent a text to his wife after the service. And he said, latest stinker, I'll be home soon. In other words, he said, yeah, he told the free press that when he left the auditorium, he said, I was convinced that my my sermon on Romans 12 that I totally whiffed. I didn't connect with them. I watched it, brothers and sisters. I think he's right. But Isaiah 55, 11 is the passage where we say the word of God will not come back void. 
and the message that he gave from Romans 12 about loving one another and confessing your sins to one another really struck a nerve. And one student, after this is all done, they all emptied the auditorium. The praise team wound up their last mess, the last song and about 20 students hung around afterwards to pray. They were told they could stay in the chapel if they wanted to. One student stood up and prayed a prayer of confession and repentance before his brothers and sisters in Christ and it just did something to them. I think it's because a lot of Generation Z have not been told the true gospel, which is you're sinful and you live in a sinful fallen world. And apart from Christ, you can't stand before God in your sinful state. But because of Christ and the sacrifice of his blood on the cross, you're washed clean in the blood of the lamb. And you can stand forgiven and righteous and commissioned then to go into all the world and preach this good news. And a lot of people are being told, if you say I love God, then all your dreams are gonna come true. Instead of saying, if you say you love God, then you'll keep his commands. And one of the commands is that your knee will bow at the name of Jesus. And you will acknowledge that if you profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. We see in Romans 10, you will be saved. That's just two chapters before what Pastor Zach preached on in that message. But today here on this Ash Wednesday, it's our exhortation to get right with God, to come before the Lord in prayer, to take this time during the 40 days of the Lenten season to reflect upon not only what God has done for us, but what we have done to him and to each other. Truly repent and to rend our hearts, not our garments, as we read in Joel 2.13. That rending literally from the Greek means schizo. It means to break open. Don't hold bitterness in your heart. Don't hold resentment in your heart. Don't hold animosity with God or anybody else in your heart. Lay it at the foot of the cross. Ask God for healing and forgiveness and watch the burden be lifted. Watch your load get lighter. So now you can engage in true spiritual warfare in a world that's gonna rebel against you. Why? Because they want what you have and they don't want to bend the knee to get it. Pray that God will use you to show the true gospel to them. That's the good news, and that's the bottom line.